0: Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk live in the Washington, D.C. area Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio.
1: facing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Shirts and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio. It's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard
0: Shirts and Jim Russ.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University, talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Shirts, and I'm Jim Russ. And as usual, a lot going on in technology. And Google Maps has a new feature where they'll track your speed and keep a history of it. Mm -hmm. So in case you're in a radar trap and the radar is incorrect, you actually have some evidence of the speed you were going. There's the first practical electric aircraft that's used for regional flights. It has has a range of 650 miles, and it looks like it's going to be a great option for regional air carriers.
1: Interesting. So... (laughs) Don't know if I want to be one of the test pilots on that. Though.
2: On that one. You, you, don't want the, you don't want the batteries to go down. AT&T is going to start blocking fraud calls. Really? You know, you can you can actually spoof a phone number. Um, and uh, so you don't, you know, like I could make a phone call with my cell phone and I could put, put in a a um, phone number that wasn't actually my phone number. And, um, and the carriers can detect that, but the person receiving the phone call cannot. Finally, AT&T is going to block those phone calls with spoofed phone numbers. And I hope all the carriers do that. I think that's something that would help everyone quite a bit. This week, we're going to feature Marcus Hutchins. Marcus Hutchins is the online malware tech, and he's best known for temporarily stopping the WannaCry ransomware attack that occurred back in 2017. He mm-hmm. was like an accidental hero in the, in the <laughs> ransomware world. I'll explain his whole story. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from David in North Carolina. Dear Doc and Jim, I just bought a smartphone that supports wireless charging. I'm planning to buy a wireless charger soon. Are there any technical specs that I should be watching for? Love the show, David in North Carolina. Well, David, more and more phones are going to wireless charging, and the, the good news is the wireless charging industry has consolidated around one standard, which is really important. So when you buy a charger, make certain that it is QI certified. Now, QI is pronounced Qi. Make certain it's pronounced Qi certified, and that's the new standard for wireless energy transmission. It's a format that is maintained by the Wireless Power Consortium, and these guys consolidate a lot of different wireless charging technologies, and 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 and, then, and ended up with this one, and it uh, so that there'll be one standard across all devices. Now you can still buy wireless charging systems that don't support the Qi standard, but don't buy them. <laughs> okay, when a phone or charger is Qi certified, that means it's been tested by the Wireless Power Consortium for safety, effectiveness, and compatibility. Now, wireless chargers rely on magnetic induction as well as magnetic resonance to transmit energy. Qi uses both. Now, your phone contains a coil in its back that converts the magnetic energy into electrical energy, and that's used to charge the battery. Now, if a wireless charger is not Qi certified, uh, as I said, you should avoid using it. Now, Qi certified chargers are available from Anchor, from Chotec, and Yotech. Now, for instance, a Qi-certified uh, charger from Chotech, C-H-O-E-T-E-C-H, that charges at, at the rate of 15 watts is only $25.49 on Amazon. So they're not really that expensive. So it's a good question, and uh, I'm glad you're keeping track of those standards. We got an email from Anna in Kilmarnock. Dear Tech Talk, a few days ago, I got a text message from Microsoft saying that my computer has a virus and I need to delete the system32 file. But I can't find it anywhere. I've looked everywhere. I texted them back and asked them how I do that, and I haven't heard back from them. Can, can you tell me how to find the system32 file so I can delete it? Anna and Kilmarnock. Anna, you don't have to delete anything because that text message you received is a hoax. It was sent by a scammer, not by Microsoft. You couldn't find system32 files on your program because to delete because Microsoft hid them because they didn't want the user to muck around with system files. Now, if you did manage to find that file and delete it, you would end up completely trashing your Windows installation. Wow. Now, luckily, Microsoft made it hard to find the file, and you didn't delete it. Uh, but uh, just don't listen to any email that comes to you, because it could be a scam. We got an email from Helen in Rockville, Doc and Jim, I've been shopping for a new laptop and have noticed that most of the better ones do not come with optical drives. I got hundreds of CDs and DVDs that are filled with photos and I, and I need to access them on occasion. Uh, So I'd like my new laptop to have a DVD drive. Now I know I can buy an external DVD drive, but I prefer to have it built in. Why are they making laptops without optical drives? doesn't make sense to me, Helen in, in um, Rockville. Well, there are several reasons why they've gotten rid of uh, including them in laptops. First of all, they're not used that much anymore. Most music, movies, computer software are delivered to the consumer over the internet instead of by disc. Right. So there's you you you, you rarely you never get any uh, software delivered on um, on DVDs. In addition, uh, there are many inexpensive USB hard drives that and. And online backup services, so it makes it very easy to back up your data on your computer. See, remember in the old days, people do backups on the DVDs. Yep. I mean, that just is not happening anymore. So you know, I cloud backups and using a USB hard drive because you can get a one terabyte USB hard drive that's really you know not that expensive. Let's you know about a hundred dollars, and you can you can backup everything. In addition. You know, people used to share photos uh, on DVDs, but now with all this cloud, uh, you know, cloud storage uh, capacity, you can just upload your photos to the cloud and you can share them. And you don't actually have to ship around the CD. Now, the final reason they got rid of them is making them, getting rid of them, they can make the uh, the laptop thinner and lighter, yeah. mm-hmm. and less expensive. Yes. So that was really the the idea. Now, luckily. You can buy an external USB optical drive for as little as $15. Just going to Amazon, they're they're available. And, um, you know, that's what I'd recommend. Now, the good news is, if you look, you can still buy laptops with internal optical drives. They're still available. They're just getting harder to find. Mm-hmm. But i but I tell you, I think I'd go with the external drive because you, you'll get a laptop that's thinner and lighter and um, and probably a little bit cheaper. Right. So, good question, and... Uh, Good luck with your new laptop. We got an email from Jim in Arizona. Dear Tech Talk, I'm an admin of a large Facebook group that has over 60,000 members. So it's a great group that discusses mindfulness living. Now, the problem is that the person who created the group has stopped making useful posts, and now they post spam. Huh. I got a feeling that they're selling posts on the group to a third-party business as advertising, and they're making money off the group. Now my question is: Is there a way to kick that person out of the group and ban him? Everything I've read says that I cannot ban the creator of the group. Well, um, Jim, you're exactly right. You cannot ban the creator of a group, even if you, uh, even if you are also an admin. The creator of the group can never be banned, and I think Facebook is correct in 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 preventing that. Because can you imagine? You create a group, and then you invite other admins. To, to help you manage the group and then the admins that you invite they kick you out of the group and and you lose control of the group. It's so, like an
0: admin
1: coup d'etat.
2: It would be an ab, admin coup d'etat, that's right. It it could be a uh, bloodless
1: overtake overthrow. Blood
2: bloodless overthrow. Yeah, it could be uh it could be like a Facebook mutiny. Could be another <laughs> So I I think Facebook's exactly right about that. They they you should not be able to to ban the creator. Now however, so what you should do uh just create your own group. So you can go and you can create your own group um yeah, and you can start uh, and then once you can go back, you can invite members of the old group to join your new group. And since you're an admin of the old group, you can you you, you, you can do you know mass invites to everybody in the group. And if everybody is as fed up with this guy as you are, <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people go gonna, form another group. Yeah, uh, yeah I think people are just going to switch over to your group and then you'll, you'll carry on and then the spammer can be in his own group with nobody reading it. I think that's your only option, mm-hmm. and um, I do think Facebook has the right policy there on banning admins. Got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Doc, Dr. Schertz and Jim. Since I don't watch movies or play games or search the Internet or make many phone calls or do texting, how many cell phone minutes, text messages, or data do I really need? Good point. Yeah. Can you please explain these elements and how they're offered – and, uh, you know, how they are offered by different um, carriers and what, what, what it all means. I find it a bit confusing. Since usage will vary from person to person, can you address or answer for like a typically low, middle, or high average usage person? Furthermore, why are there minutes, text, and data on cell phones anyway? Since the cell phones is a walkie-talkie, it should be similar to my desktop computer, which has all the same features – But I don't have to deal with minutes, text, or data. I just hook it up to the Internet. Uh, I'd like to understand all that. Thanks. Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, of course, um, it's all about sending you the bill. And the uh, the carriers um, wanted to charge for things that that they felt they could make money on. And so in the old days, basically people used their phones, their cell phones, to actually make phone calls. And so – and so the carriers uh, made money by charging you for so many minutes, and uh, and that was pretty much how they did it. They they kind of ignored text messaging back back in the back in the day, and text messages really weren't even talked about. You, you got them almost as a as a as a freebie. And then what happened? People stopped making phone calls and they started just texting. So then. Uh, the carrier said, "Well, we better charge for these text messages because we're not we're not charging for the the, the minutes." Now it turns out that the text messages go out as what they call an SMS um, SMS short message service. It's a protocol that's carried as part of your cellular band, and so text messages do not count against your data cap. They're just part of your uh, your 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 cellular uh, connection. And it's not part of the streaming data with the cell phone, but SMS messages are limited to 160 characters. And now, I mean, I, I pretty much text all the time. I don't, I don't really phone call that much. It's so much easier to text. But you can add a picture if you want to send a picture by text message, uh, and you do that through your carrier. You use a different protocol, which is uh, MMS, Multimedia Messaging Service protocol. And and the carriers will will charge you more for an MMS message, and if it's a big picture, they'll they, they 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 might put a cap on the picture size, and so and so they were making money selling text messages, and then what happened? Uh, Apple came out with iMessage, where they would send text messages using data. So when you send an iMessage cell phone to cell phone, you're you're using data, and it doesn't even show up as a text message with the carrier. So the carrier's making no money on text messaging. The carrier's making no money on minutes. So they say, look, we're going to have to make money on just selling data. So then they have data caps that charge you so much for data. And in fact, you can make phone calls using data. You, you, you can use voice over IPs. So and when I call people in other countries, I'll, I'll make the phone call with uh, with WhatsApp, with Skype, with Viber. And, and, you, you, and you call, and, and you're basically just using data. And so... Uh, gradually, everything has shifted to be more data centric. So those are the that, that's why the things are, are are laid out that way. And now surfing the web does not take much data. I mean, if you get emails on your phone, it doesn't take much data. Um, if but if you stream videos, like you know, if you stream Amazon Amazon video, uh, that takes streaming videos take a lot of data. Uh, audio streaming audio like Pandora does not does not take much. So, okay. I think in your case, I would just get the uh, sort of the minimum uh, the the minimum offering by your uh, by your carrier. I don't I don't think you'll need much. If you get emails, I think you'll need some data. I think you're going to want data. Um, and if you do any voice over IP calls like Skyping or Viber, you'll need data. If you if you if you send iMessages, you'll need data. But you probably don't need many text messages, but but they they pretty much are giving I mean, what they're doing now they're they're basically charging on data caps and they'll and they'll give you unlimited minutes or unlimited text. so so just get the just go to the carrier and get the uh, get the minimum package. Now, you can get some pretty good deals uh, if you go to a Walmart smart talk. Um, see what these carriers do, they will. Re, they will allow other people to sell their network. And, it, and so you can go to – you can get a Walmart plan, and you can either use the Verizon network, the ATT network, the T-Mobile network. And it's basically – they're just reselling that network. You don't have the high priority, but you get a much better rate. So if you want to get the best rate, I would go to uh, Walmart and get one of these resellers and, uh, and, get, a, um, and get a resold network. That was a good question, Doug. We got an email from James Messick in North Carolina. Dear Dr. Schertz, I sometimes edit home video to upload to YouTube and share with friends. My old laptop worked fine. It was for, you know, editing 1080p video. That's 1080, 1080 progressive video. But it does not really have enough power to handle 4K videos. Now, My Air Drone, my Mavic Air Air Drone. Doug, you have a better drone than me.
1: (laughs) That's not allowed.
2: (laughs) Doug, you have a better drone than me. I want to get that Mavic Air Drone. Uh, It can produce 4K videos. I was wondering if it's possible or affordable to rent time on a remote computer to edit and render my videos. If so, what are some good options and how much do I expect to pay? Thanks, James Messick. Well, James, using a cloud computer, a virtual machine on a cloud computer, is definitely a possibility. There are many services available. Since all the c- computing is done on the virtual machine, you can use any client. Now, here are a few free editors that look pretty good. And, um, and if you want to, uh, and, you, you, and, the, and you can get additional features in each of these free ones if you just pay a little bit of money. we got Movie Maker Online. Now that's a flexible online tool with royalty-free media to supplement your own movie clips. Movie Maker Online is funded by ads, which you might find distracting, and you'll have to deactivate any ad-blocking plugins if you want to use it. Movie Maker Online lets you upload videos, images, music, combine them into a project by dragging and dropping into a timeline. You can Export it into only one format, MP4 format, but that's I think that should be fine. So Movie Maker Online is best for your browser. It works through your browser. So if you don't mind ads, I think that's really a good option. It won't cost you anything. Movie Maker Online. Then we've got ClipChamp. Now ClipChamp is a free version of uh, now the free version of this ClipChamp tool lacks some of the advanced features. But it's easy to use as a good choice for simple movie maker tasks. The free version of ClipChamp, its hard to say. Clip.
1: It is hard Champ. to say. Yeah. You That's, know, these people should think about how hard their their tools are to say when they. I know name it's
2: very it's very it's frustrating and annoying. It is so. It has a few limitations. The free version, the biggest of which is you can only export videos in standard definition, not HD. Well, that, that'd be a, that'd be a showstopper for you because you want to keep your 4K. Now there's a premium tier starting at about nine dollars a month that gives you more freedom, but if you need if but if you just need a simple free version uh, they, you know and you and you and you don't and you can go with standard definition not high definition that that would be fine. Now once your footage is in Clipchamp, you'll have access to tools including trimming, cropping, flipping, rotating, brightness, contrast. Processing's fast, and you can share the results online or download the video to other projects. Adobe Spark is another option. Now, Adobe Spark is kind of a jack-of-all-trades. offers browser-based tools for making a lot of stuff in addition to video. I mean, you can make greeting cards, flyers, Instagram posts, and videos. Spark gives you two options for making videos. One, one In one case, you can use one of Adobe's own themed templates, or you can start from scratch. Whichever you choose, you'll be able to upload uh, fo- video, photos, video clips, or import them from cloud services like Dropbox. You can record audio from your PC microphone. To just the length of the clip, you just change the number at the bottom right of the viewing image, and you, your finished video will be bear a small Adobe Spark watermark on the bottom. And the last one I'll talk about is Online Video Center. Now, despite the name Online Video Center, is about more than just cutting up videos. The site lets you upload files up to 500 megabytes in size or work with clips stored on Google Drive or other online services. You can then opt to trim away unwanted footage and crop if you've made if you've you've taken too wide of a shot. There's a rotate function for the footage accidentally shot with your phone on its side. There's even a Chrome extension so you can access tools more easily. When you're happy with the changes you can Pick from a variety of popular formats to export to, and it's quite easy. So all of those, those are four options for you. I think that I think one of those is going to work for you. Movie Maker Online, ClipChamp, Adobe Spark, or Online Video Cutter. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc and Jim, I just read this slightly disturbing article about Windows 10 not backing up the registry and not informing the user that they're not backing it up. What's going on? Thanks, Bob in Maryland. Well, uh, it is true. Microsoft, I did something sneaky, and I think think they're coming clean on it, and I think they'll fix it. Microsoft issued a warning for 8 million Windows 10 users that it stopped backing up the registry in October of 2018, (laughs) starting with, version Windows 10, version 1803. Now, the operating system gives the impression that the registry is backed up, but the file size of the backup is zero. They said they did it to reduce the footprint, you know, so it doesn't take as much storage space. But the company finally came clean about what happened, and ironically, this disclosure comes just two months after Microsoft pledged to give Windows 10 users more control and transparency. Now, backing up the registry is, a cru- is crucial, and it's a last line of defense for many businesses and everyday users. Should your Windows restore point fail, uh, you, you know your registry backup is all you've got. And yet Microsoft has now revealed what's actually happening. This means that the set point may not work. Now, I hope they're going to fix this quickly and then let users decide if they want to back up the registry. We got an email from Lynn in Ohio. Dear Doc and Jim, I've got a Gateway PC that's running Windows 7.1, uh, and I upgrade. I just upgraded the USB 3 to USB 3.0 by by adding a US 3.0 expansion card. The only thing I use this particular computer for is writing blogs in Microsoft Word before uploading them to WordPress. Now, I plan to turn my blog post into a series of books someday, so I'm going to keep the post stored on my hard drive in MS Word format. Right now, the, the seven folders containing the post and associated images add up to about 22 gigabytes. My question is, is there anything wrong with using a 64-gigabyte USB thumb drive to back up these critical files? I don't need to back up everything on the computer. I just want the Word files that I'm using for the blog, these seven directories. Now, I bought the USB 3.0 card because I actually wanted da- faster data transfer when I do my backups. What's your thought about this, Lynn in Ohio? Um, oh, she added, a buddy of mine said that thumb drives aren't reliable for backup. What's your opinion? Well, your friend is right, Lynn. USB flash drives are unreliable. I knew this was coming. Yeah. And if there's... and. uh you know, and if there's one thing you don't want a backup uh, medium, it's reliability. Now, flash drives can be a little bit finicky. You know, and sometimes, sometimes Windows will cache data, and then a few seconds later, it writes it to RAM. So you think it's written it you you think it's written it to the uh, to the thumb drive, but it's only written it in cache, and it hasn't transferred to to, to the thumb drive yet. And if you remove the thumb drive, before the cache has been emptied and fully written to the drive, you'll corrupt the file. That happens to a lot of people when they when their files are done. Now, you can always, there's something called eject. If you, you, can hit, you can eject the thumb drive, and what that does, that clears the cache and it makes certain that everything has been written there. Now, you never want to trust all of your life's work on one backup. So if you're going to keep your files backed up to USB drive and you really want to do that you're just dead set on it get three of them and back it up to three drives so at least you've got it three times and and so
1: (laughs) this is for someone with OCD right
2: that's right these are for people you know if if you just insist on backing up that USB drive because it's so convenient have more than one yeah well two would be better than one yes Two would certainly be better than one, and these are 64 gigabyte thumb drives are, cheap. are are cheap. Now you can also you can also get free cloud storage on Google Drive, Microsoft OneDrive, Carbonite, and I'm telling you, you can get uh, you you can go to these. Let's see, you've got um, so you let's see, you got 22 gigabytes. So yeah, you could, I'm quite certain that you could get cloud backup that would uh, that would not cost you anything it'll back up 22 gigs um, I don't think you can uh, you know uh, and for not much money you could you can get a terabyte of uh, of hard drive so, so it could be that a cloud backup would be a very good option for you so you, you have them stored on the computer you back up to the cloud but when you just want to move them around at, you know as for as for, as portability you could copy to the to the to the thumb drive but then the thumb drives not really your backup it's just a it's just a way to, to go from one computer to the next. You can also get, um, you know, USB hard drives that are dirt cheap, and, and you, could, you could set up your computer to automatically back up to the, uh, to the external hard drive. So then you've got it on your computer, you've got the external hard drive, and then you've got the thumb drive for portability. Now the advantage of the cloud is that your files are in another location. Suppose somebody breaks into your house and steals your computer, and they then they steal your <laughs> external hard that. drive and they steal your thumb drive. Oh, well, what do you got? I mean, you have backups, but they were all stolen, right? And that, actually, that one happened that about 25, 20 years ago we, we, at uh, at school. We,
1: somebody stole your stuff.
2: Somebody stole my stuff, and and I had my I had my backups all carefully cataloged right right beside the computer, and they just stole all the backups too. So, wow. so so actually, backing up to the cloud gives you re- gives you a, a redundant location, mm-hmm.
1: or uh, a bank safety deposit vault. Put one of the USBs there.
2: You could do that too. That's right. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, you know, and the only reason I'm trying to be so particular about this because this is your life's work, and right. if you yeah, lose yeah. it, you lose it. It would really be bad. Listen, we love your emails. We do indeed. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It
1: is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. Watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Shirts of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome
2: back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for
1: Profiles in IT.
2: Yes, today we're going to feature Marcus Hutchins. Marcus, Marcus Hutchins is... Known on the Internet as the malware tech, he's a British computer security researcher best known for temporarily stopping the WannaCry ransom attack back in 2017. But
1: unintentionally so.
2: Well, he he, he sort of stumbled into the solution and just did it. It was like put his finger in the dike and held it off. <laughs> it was uh, quite a story. Greed. It was very dramatic. Now, he always loved to tinker with computers, but... He got in with the wrong crowd when he was a teenager, and he started writing malware at age fifteen. He was pretty good at it, actually. He registered a domain called GhostHosting.com, and uh, and it basically advertised the sale of uh, malware, you know, to hackers on the, you know, on the on the um, black internet, on the hidden internet. And he would he would advertise uh, services on ghost hosting on the hackforum.net now one of his aliases was iarchy and uh, and when he, uh, he 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 was telling uh, uh, speaking as iarchy at a chat forum at uh, hack forums he told one of the fellow hack forum users that 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 he was that his business was hosted on ghost hosting and it was mainly for black hats wanting to fish that of course is that you would it gives you the tools to embed malware into an email and somebody clicks on it you can you can take over their computer or it might be for, for no, or for phishing you 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 get them to click on a link it goes to a malicious website and then you've got malware embedded in the website installs on their computer now in uh, and the thing is he he actually didn't do a very good job of sort of hiding who he was now, many suspected that uh, Hutchins also sold and authored the Kronos Banking Trojan. The, this was the Kronos Banking Trojan where, uh, where people could, would basically lab, grab passwords and help people break into uh, bank accounts. And he, and he sold the Kronos Banking Trojan online. Uh, at least the FBI thinks he did that. And so he sold stuff on the dark web. Now, he had a pretty uh, significant career in writing malware and being a black hat guy on the wrong side of the fence. I don't think he made a lot of money, but, but uh, he, he, got, he got a lot of notoriety and he enjoyed it. But he finally gave it up in 2013. He, got, he saw the light and he stopped writing malware and he became a white hat hacker and he started working for a security company Crypto's Logic was a cyber firm. So he figured out if he, now that he knows all about malware, he flips to the other side and he works for a cybersecurity firm. He can really be effective, and I think his salary at Crypto's Logic was greater than what he was earning as just selling the malware on the uh, on the dark web. Interesting. So that was in uh, 2013, and so he anonymously authored a white hat. Uh, malware blog. It was malwaretech.com. And it it, it I went back and looked at it. It is an excellent blog. It's got a lot of highly technical data. And so the community loved malware tech because it showed them how to understand, how to analyze malware, how to protect from malware. It was... He was an excellent teacher, actually. So he anonymously authored that, and uh, and he had quite a following there. Now, in 2017... Hutchins was working from his home when the WannaCry malware began spreading like wildfire. It was encrypting systems, crippling businesses all over Europe. It hit hit Britain first. The UK's National Health Service was one of the biggest organizations hit. It forced doctors to turn patients away and emergency rooms to close. I mean, it just trashed their computer systems. Now, Hutchins, because he's working for this Security company, CryptosLogic, and, and actually he's working out of his home in the UK. He got a copy of the, of, the, of, the, um, of the malware, and he looked at it, and he discovered that there was a domain name referenced in the code, and this domain name had not been registered. So he immediately registered it to see what it would do. Mm-hmm. It turned out that this domain name was a kill switch for the WannaCry virus. And so what it did, when it started executing, it would go out and look for this particular domain name. If it didn't find it, it would keep on working. But if the if it found that domain name, it would stop. And so as soon as he registered that domain name, the WannaCry viruses that hadn't installed yet stopped installing. Hmm. and uh, And so he sort of, you know, happened into this thing. And he just Registered this domain name on you know with his local ISP. It wasn't wasn't a big big thing, but it, it, but wasn't it wasn't hosted on a high capacity server. So then what happened? Uh, the um, they, they call it a sinkhold. So they say Hutchins had sinkhold the rat- <laughs> the, the, uh, the 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 ransomware. Now then what happened? The angry operators of this malware. They realized what he had done. So they started putting all of these bots to try to bring it down. He had he, he had hundreds of you know angry people that were, you know, counting on this malware to go, to to go through and they they started bringing tried to bring down his uh, his server. So he stayed up, he and his friends stayed up 24 hours. They got no sleep. Mm. They kept Trying to keep this domain up because if the domain goes down, the ransomware just takes off again and, you know, and it will just do untold damage because there's a lot of ransomware just stopped because of the sinkhole. And once the sinkhole has gone, boom, it's going to start over over again. Mm -hmm. So even the FBI was trying to help him, you know, with this because they knew that he'd stumbled onto uh, a, a pretty clever solution. So finally, Cloudflare, which is a, a cloud-based provider, they stepped in, and they were able to handle distributed of service attacks and all sorts of, of, of highly scaled attacks. And so they transferred the domain name to Cloudflare, and it was done. And that, that domain name is still there, hosted by Cloudflare, by the way. Now, now, this is the thing that's interesting. There's still a lot of WannaCry ransomware out there that is sinkholed, by this domain name. If that domain name goes down, all that all that ransomware will just start activating again. So even if you weren't infected by WannaCry ransomware, you got you've got to make certain to clean your machine, otherwise it's a ticking time bomb. Now, that was sort of the beginning of news of the news for Marcus Hutchins. Okay, he was an anonymous guy just doing his security work, working for Cryptos Logic. Nobody gave gave a hoot about him, and all of his hacking career, black hat hacking career, writing malware, selling malware when he when he was 15 years old, not, nobody even knew about it. But then, he became famous. <laughs> he became famous, and that's the worst thing for a malware exactly. writer. Right, he became right. famous, and then what? And what happened was, I mean the the authorities never tracked down who was writing the small were they never they never tracked down who the person behind ghost hosting was or any of that but it turns out the press in the UK is really they, pretty good they figured it out they went through and and I saw how they did it because he he actually linked his real name with certain email addresses and at another point he lacked he, he he linked a username with an email address. And you could take and you go, go through a train of these linkages that occurred over about three or four years, and you could finally trace back to the real person. And so the press figured out that Mark who Marcus Hutchins was. And they figured out that he had written malware. And uh nobody could believe and they and they even discovered that he was the anonymous author behind the uh, the malware blog com, and so he he was he was like a rock star in a way um and then the FBI got interested and then they <laughs> and the FBI you know said wow wait a minute here this 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 guy was writing malware that's you know that's a that's a, that's a felony or a, yeah you know and so and so back in um last year at, at, at the DefCon conference in Las Vegas, uh, this is the this is the hacker conference that's held annually in Las Vegas. He he flew from the UK, went to DefCon, spent the week at DefCon. The FBI was like tracking him around, and then he went to get on the airport. To, they went to the uh, went to get on the airplane there, and they went to the airport as he was leaving. FBI stepped in and arrested him.
1: Well, at least they let him have a good time before they lock him up. They
2: did. That's
1: that's <laughs> right. And so they.
2: And, and and actually, everybody was up in arms because this guy was a rock star. I mean, he's the guy that had single-handedly stopped WannaCry. And this WannaCry ransomware, you know why it was so devastating? You remember about two and a half years ago when all of the NSA toolkit was released by one of their vendors and it was just on the web? And NSA had some very sophisticated tools, what they call day zero uh, exploits uh, for different operating systems, and all of their bag of tricks were revealed. Mm-hmm. The WannaCry virus, within two months, used the most sophisticated tools within the NSA toolbox had been that, you know, that had been uploaded to the web by, by one of the NSA vendors. And, and then it turned out that Microsoft had written patches for these exploits, but as you know, people just don't patch. And yeah. so there were so many systems that hadn't been patched because Microsoft just had released the patch within the last, you know, just a couple of months before that. And so, you know, it, you know, to get everything patched might, you know, take, takes a while. So there were so many unpatched systems that this WannaCry, WannaCry virus just really took off. Now, now the reason I uh, sort of talked about Marcus, you know, I went back and looked at it. it's, it's kind of a shame because when he was a teenager – I mean, he was doing this, but he was just in with the wrong bunch of kids, right. and they were having fun. He straightened fun. himself out. They, they were anybody, and, and he straightened himself out. So everybody's saying that that you know he needs to have leniency. So the reason his name came up is that on April nineteenth, twenty nineteen, he finally pled guilty to the uh, the charges. He what, needs
1: a better lawyer.
2: What what what? Okay, what happened? Let me tell you what happened in Las Vegas. Why why he spilled the beans? When he went to the airport. Well, actually, when he when he was at Defcon, the FBI was going around because because they you know they have like parties there and everything, so they were going around, and he was drinking, and oh. and so and so the FBI interrogated him. He didn't even know he was being interrogated, so he was and, drunk. He was, and he was drunk. And then he was bragging about what he did. Oh yeah! So he
1: didn't mean to to spill the beans. No, he said, Oh yeah, ma, yeah,
2: I really, I, I wrote one of the best viruses, you know, I, you know, and, oh, and, he, and he was really proud of the fact that he wrote this one password uh, grabbing virus that was so sophisticated that the antivirus programs wouldn't pick it up. Mm-hmm. So you know, you know, I did that too, and you know, and, and you know, you know, you, you know, you're at DefCon and you're you know you you're a rock star, so you want to show your stuff. So the FBI said, "Oh, really? Interesting." Right. So then, finally, they uh, they arrested him at the airport, and um, and then his defense was, "You didn't read me my Miranda rights, and I was drunk." And they said, "Well, actually, we did read you your your rights. You don't remember? You, you just don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so, but everybody, uh, you know, kind of likes Marcus, and they they want him to go uh, lenient for him. Now, right now, he pleaded guilty. They they dropped most of the they just left one there. He could get up to five years in prison mm-hmm. and $250,000 in fine. Oh, two charges they kept, and they dropped all the rest for, for writing them all where as a teen. Now that everybody in the security community is writing in to say, "Give this guy leniency." Well,
1: he's going to get security service, uh, you, uh, uh, community service, and a fine.
2: Don't I you think? I, th- I think so. I I hope they le- I just I hope, hope they let him, job him job. off because actually he he came to the he's been doing really good work since then. So there you know everything you need to know about Marcus Hutchins, the man that was much happier being anonymous and not being famous
1: there really is a fine line here because i know one of the big programs at stratford is is cybersecurity. that's right so in order to protect against bad stuff you got to know how to do the bad you, you, stuff. you
2: actually have to know how to do it yeah and so that and so when you when you're teaching that they call that ethical hacking mm-hmm. and so and so you you actually have to know how to how to write malware in order to in order to analyze malware yeah so so there is ethical hacking and when and when students are taught that they have to sign sort of a uh, a pledge of of ethical behavior. I was going to ask
1: you. So I mean, you get a lot of people who come through your program and do this. How do you how do you is there also any other sort of screening that you do in order to make sure that you're not
2: Well, we don't Or you
1: really can't.
2: You 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 really can't. You 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 really you really can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 we need more people who are trained in cybersecurity because right now we're in a global war in cybersecurity and the U S is losing that war, yeah. and the you know against uh, you know against North Korea, Iran, Russia, China, we're losing that war and and in this cyber warfare, they're actually stealing all of our secrets on military weapons, airplanes, you know, they our our um, industry is not protecting themselves enough and and all of our intellectual property is just almost up for grabs. Yeah. And so we have got to win that cybersecurity and we need more people trained in it.
1: There you go. All right, it's Saturday okay. morning. Hope you're paying attention because something we just talked about there could land somebody free lunch by playing the pop quiz. Coming up here on Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM, FM HD2. Point and, point. and on the web, at the stop. No, you can't give them the answer yet. You just did it on the air, doc. Oh, <laughs> I'm still signing us out of here. Anyway, <laughs> why well, just do the program uh, by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Be right back.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University. Coming up in a moment.
3: The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ.
1: Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Tech Talk Radio and for playing the pop quiz this Saturday morning. We just finished talking about Marcus Hutchins, a British computer security researcher best known for temporarily stopping a major ransomware attack. Today's question, you need to tell us the name of that attack.
3: If you know the answer to the question Jim just gave you, do not tarry. Pick up your telly and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Flyadel Shirts, Virginia, it's 877 936 If you're trying to thwart a malware attack in Canada, call us on the wildcard line. Anyone else, anywhere else, may call us on the generally out-of-service international line. 877-936-39333. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your calls, so dial now.
2: This is good news. AT&T is going to start blocking fraud calls. AT&T will start automatically blocking fraud calls and issuing suspected spam call alerts for new phone customers at no extra cost. Hmm. Now, you can opt out of it if you don't want it, but I think most people are going to want it. Yeah, Existing sure. customers will see the feature automatically reach their accounts in the coming months. it will They're just rolling it out slowly, but the new customers get it right away. If you like the capability, you can turn it on right now by downloading the AT&T Call Protect app or enabling it through your AT&T account. Although AT&T isn't charging extra, the FCC rules don't prevent it or others from charging for auto blocking, in order to, to, to you know to earn more money. I'm hoping they just give that for free. That'd be a nice thing to do. Google Maps has got some new features that are pretty nice. They're they're not rolled out to everyone yet, but they're going to be rolling out over the next week or two, and uh, they have a feature called the speedometer. And it's going to be global in um, in a few weeks. And they're also they also have another feature where you can where you can uh, you can track um, you can track where speed cameras t- camera traps are and you can also report a car crash or a traffic jam. They're trying to make Google Maps a- as good as Waze which has crowdsourced information.
1: Well, okay. <laughs> I'll let you have it today. I know you, you, don't, you don't, I don't like Waze. You don't
2: like it. I love Waze. Since I've had Waze
1: not a single speeding ticket. How many did you have before Waze? Several. Uh, real? Oh, oh yeah I did oh, not oh, know this oh, about yeah. you. Oh yeah. I Mr. had several Leadfoot.
2: I had several. And so but since Waze, boom. My record is spotless. So here's the thing. There was a guy who was driving he he had his uh, he was driving down the road with cruise control. He was going sixty-five miles an hour, that was a speed limit. And he was passing a radar trap, and just at the time he was passing the radar trap, there was another car that whisked by him, passing him going about 90. So the police officer thought he was the one going 90 and gave him a ticket for going 90 miles an hour. Uh Now he said, hey, I wasn't going 90 miles an hour, and the police officer said, look, I got it on radar here. So the the, the trouble with radar is that it's, it's a broad beam, and if you've got two cars in it, it's a judgment as to which car is actually going that speed. Now, one of the advantages of Google Maps is that it tracks your speed on all the roads that you're traveling and keeps a history of it. Now this now this might not be good if some if 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 the police if you got a
1: lead foot it. if it's you for instance yeah, yeah but I
2: mean you know you'd hate it if the police department would like uh, would like um, you know subpoena your speed record and then then after the fact give you speeding tickets for everything that showed up I don't on think that they map. Can do that?
1: I don't think they can do that.
2: I don't I don't think so. I, I think
1: they actually have to witness you doing it before they.
2: Yeah, I would.
1: Yeah, I, 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 that will be something because so, everybody would be looking at about a million speeding tickets.
2: So it's it's not on all the Google Maps yet, but but you can you you can check for it. You, to turn on the speedometer, you open up Google Maps and then you tap on the three stacked lines and scroll down to the bottom of your screen. Select settings, and then you tap navigation settings, and then you scroll down to driving options. And under driving options, you can toggle on speedometer. If you don't see the speedometer there, then it means you don't have it yet. But the roll it, it, within a week or two, it'll be out everywhere. Now, if you want to also use it for, for 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 speed camera traps, you can do the same thing. You open Google Maps, type in the destination to start navigating, and then uh, then tap on the There's a speech bubble icon with a plus sign. Click on that, and then you can select mobile speed cameras. And then a pop-up message will say that you're adding a mobile speed camera if you want. If you want to add it, but it's but then you know you can help all of your other people, and you can also report a traffic jam or or anything else. And and you basically tap add a report, and you can select crash or showdown. So these are all new uh, features that are that are coming out into Google Maps as they try to morph Google Maps into being more ways-like. But I, I do like that sort of if you if if you're caught. I mean, if you're really not speeding, and the and the police officer makes a mistake because there's another car in the field of view, uh, I would be interested to know how the courts would accept this as data. Yeah. To prove you're right.
1: Talking about the age of the electric flight. Yeah. Is let's it- take
2: the age of the, this. Now, this is actually interesting. This there. uh, This um, there's an Israeli firm, Aviation, not Aviation, Aviation, e- Aviation. Evi- they built an electric airplane called Alice.
1: Now, All right, already I'm out. <laughs> Alice,
2: Alice will carry nine passengers for up to 650 miles at 10,000 feet going 275, 76 miles per hour. And it's expected to enter service in 2022. Alice is a non-conventional looking plane. It's powered by three rear-facing push propellers. They've got one in the back of the plane. They've got one at the, at the end of each wing. So they got three push propellers on the thing. It, That's it, interesting. It, if you look at it, they got one at the end of each wing, and then one in the rear. And of course, the, this this of course is all designed. They needed three push propellers because um, you know they they were trying to distribute the load. And, and these are all and it's all runoff batteries. Now, now the plane that really was designed around the propulsion system. They said it's going to take three. You know, they, they had batteries and they had to, they had to have a range of six hundred and fifty miles. They had to have the propulsion system, so they built a plane that would that would work this thing out. Now, the um, th- this particular system it's going to be um, it's it, it's going to uh, uh, it's it's basically going to uh, be used by small haul. Uh, companies and companies are already lining up to buy this thing because mm-hmm. because you see it's um th- this is the thing the the fuel cost is uh, for instance, if you take a turboprop SESMA caravan, if and if you do a 100 mile flight, the fuel is around four hundred dollars. If you use this electric plane and take the same hundred mile flight, your fuel is eight to twelve dollars. That's a big difference. that is a big difference. That's a big difference. Say the uh, Rolls-Royce Airbus and Siemens are are working on the E-Fan X program, which will have a 2-megawatt electric motor mounted on a BAE jet. It's set to fly in 2021. So there's somebody else working on this. Investment Bank USB, which predicts predicts that the aviation sector will quickly switch to hybrid and elective aircraft for regional travel and that the eventual demand for there'll be an eventual demand for 550 hybrid airliners each year between 2028 wow. and 2040. So actually the the advances in battery technology that certainly be driven by the electric car have actually made it into the uh, into the aircraft.
1: I wo- I wonder well I guess this is risky when you're dealing with a- aviation uh if they could use solar power somehow because you've got that you know that all that space up there on a wing um, if if you could use solar for auxiliary power while you're in flight, you know?
2: Yeah, I don't think it could have enough capacity. <laughs> I mean, I, I just don't think. Now, now the prospects for the electric long-haul flights are not very rosy because you you'd basically have no room for, no room for the passengers, you just have you'd be you'd have a flying elevator, uh, a flying, a flying bat- battery, a flying exactly. battery. I'm so look- this is I think the sweet spot here is about 600 miles.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at this um a picture of it. It is a very interesting looking airplane. It's very space age. It's a it's got a V tail in the rear, which yeah. is uh uh reminiscent of the old Moonies, uh which are which are very popular um single engine yeah. general aviation. But that's 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 very interesting. I, I'm trying to figure out how many people this will carry. Nine it'll it it carry nine
2: nine people.
1: Wow. That's that's really cool. Nine
2: people including the pilot. And see the other I think the other application for uh for um all electric vehicles are, are gonna be regional trucks hmm Regional mm-hmm. trucks, because the, the the problem is with, you know, when, you, when you're when you – the charge time on the battery. Yes. And so – but you, if you've got a regional truck, because, you, you know, you're, you you can get a range. You know, Tesla's building the truck here. It'll be, you know, maybe 400-mile range. So you could actually t- do a round trip, do a job for the day, come back and, and charge back at your base station. The
1: problem with that is traffic. And if you get a day like, you know, yesterday – we were talking about traffic yesterday. Yeah. It was so bad – you get stuck in traffic. I mean, and there are a lot of trucks that were stuck in what I was stuck in yesterday. Four hours idling. All of a sudden, the thing dies.
2: But I can tell you, the I also think trucks are going to be the first real application for autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. because they they'll they'll be able to run autonomously on the on the um, um, you know on the highways quite easily. I think that's going to be the next big. Really big push, and and actually this this uh, this electric airplane surprised me because I was thinking this would this would never be used for air, for for air for the. Um for air, airfare air- i
1: wonder how long it takes to charge it because you know a lot of these jets in regional service they 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 get someplace they unload they vacuum it out they fuel it up and they're back on another run could
2: be a problem yeah could i mean be because these
1: things run all day
2: they run all day i mean you know i think they're going to eventually have to get removable power packs where they just, pull out, they just yeah. pull out a battery and pop it in. And it's just like loading it's on... It's like a
1: lu- giant toy changing and, the battery. it's
2: just like it'd just be a pallet, and it'll be like they're loading luggage onto the flight.
1: That's it for this week. Tune in next Saturday for more Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM.